So this week we're going to be in a Psalm 95. And as I was studying Psalm 95, this was something that I studied out actually several weeks ago and didn't know exactly when to, to preach it, but it kept getting put off when I thought I was going to do it. As I was preparing the message, I was reminded of a story that I read several years ago. It's from 2001. And Eric Weinmayer, he's blind. Yet on May 25th, 2001, he reached the peak of Mount Everest. Suffering from a degenerative eye disease, he lost his sight when he was 13. That didn't stop him. On a mountain where 90% of climbers never make it to the top and 165 have died trying since 1953, Eric succeeded. In large measure because he listened well. He listened to the little bell tied to the back of the climber in front of him so he would know what direction to go. He listened to the voice of his teammates who had shot back to him, Death fall two feet to your right, so he would know what direction not to go. He listened to the sound of his pick jabbing the ice so he would know whether the ice was safe to cross. And the story concluded by saying this, When we take a perilous journey, listening well can make all the difference in the world. You know, when I took speech class in college, the professor told us that that most everybody who graduates high school, and especially those who go to college, they almost always take at least one class on how to speak. But almost nobody takes any classes on how to listen. And so we're we're a society that knows how to talk and air our opinions, but we're not a society that knows how to listen well. And that's important because life in and of itself, is a perilous journey. I mean, especially if we believe what the Bible says about heaven and hell and the the straight and narrow path and the broad path, then how we listen, particularly to God, is significant. It can make all the difference between life and death in our life. Had, Had Eric not listened to his other climbers and taken that step to the right, he would have died. If we don't listen to God, then we may take steps He teaches us not to take. And it can be eternally costly. I want to look at a passage, Psalm 95. It should be on page 457 in your pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. We're going to look at what it says. And this could possibly be a surprising place to start talking about listening to God. Psalm 95 says, O come, and let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving, and make a joyful noise unto Him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God, and the great King above all gods. In His hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is His also. The sea is His, and He made it. And His hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God. And we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your heart as in the day of provocation. And as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your father tempted me and proved me and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation. And said it is a people that do err in their heart. They have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. 
title of the message this morning is Hearing and Heeding. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are the great God. You are the King over all the earth. You are our Maker. We are the sheep of your pasture. We are in your hand. Our lives belong to you. Father, our very breath comes from your will and your allowance of us to continue to breathe. Oh God, today we need a reminder of that. Father, we need a reminder of your greatness. We need a reminder of your power. We need a reminder of your sovereignty over our lives. We need to be reminded that that you don't serve us, but we were created by you, for you, to glorify you. Father, today, give us ears to hear what your word has for us. Father, where your word differs from our lives or where your word differs from our beliefs or where your word differs from any aspect of who we are and how we are. Let us tremble at your word and let us recognize that your word is right and we are wrong. Always. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. I could speak your word in your ways for your glory. Lord, nothing more, nothing less. Let me not be a hindrance in any way. Have your way in all of our hearts and lives. We ask in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Now, we often think about Psalm 95, particularly in relation to the first six verses. And we talk about it as a a worship song. And, And it is about worship. But it's not about worship in some sort of general sense or general sort of the way. It is a very specific psalm about a very specific kind of worship. It is about worshiping God. Right? Worship is not the focus of the psalm. God is the focus of the psalm. Notice what we're told. Like in verse 1, we sing what? Unto the Lord. We make a joyful noise unto the Lord. The Lord is the rock Of our salvation. Verse 2. We come before God. We we come with thanksgiving to God. We worship enthusiastically. The the idea of a noise. The joyful noise in verse 1 and 2. Is enthusiastic worship. We worship God joyfully. It is a joyful noise. In verse 3. The Lord is a great God. He is the great King above all gods. In verse 4, God has the whole world in His hands. The deep places, the hills, all of it is His, according to verse 5, because God made the world. The sea He made, the dry land He made, and so the world in all its fullness belongs to God. So we worship God in verse 6. We bow before God. We kneel before God. Because He is the Lord and He is our Maker. In verse 7, He is our God. We are the people of God's pasture. And we are the sheep of God's hand. Do you see the emphasis on God? It's not so much let's worship as it is look at God. We must worship. And that may seem nitpicky, but it's it's not. Right? God being the focus is what makes the last of the psalm make sense. 
If we think this psalm is about worship and having a kind of a, a warm, fuzzy feeling about worship, then going from the Lord is great to hear His voice and harden not your heart, it seems like a jarring sort of shift. But if we see this as look at God, look at how awesome God is, then what would be the natural response to seeing the greatness and the majesty and the power and the sovereignty of God? It would be to listen very carefully to anything he has to say. The warning in verses 7 through 11 make perfect sense in light of God being the focus of the psalm. If God is all these first seven verses say he is, then we must worship him. We must bow before him. We must kneel. We must be joyful. We, we must be enthusiastic. And, in the words of the author of Hebrews, we must give the more earnest heed to the things He has said. So notice the warning about hearing God. Verse 7, today, present tense. So it's not God's Spoke, God is speaking. Speaking to us today. Just as surely as He spoke to them then. God speaks. And so what we what must we do? We must listen. Right? If you will. Notice there's a, there's a choice involved. The choice to heed and hear His voice. God is speaking... That's not a question. The question is, are we going to listen? How are we going to respond to God speaking? If you will hear His voice. God is always speaking. And we have a choice about whether or not we will hear and heed what God says. Verse 8, harden not your heart. This is the choice. This is the choice when God speaks. Will we hear and heed or will we harden our hearts? See, when God speaks, there's always a choice we have to make. How are we going to respond? And there are only two ways to respond. We either hear and heed and and do what God has said Or we harden our hearts against God in rebellion. And we always do one or the other. That's what they did. They hardened their hearts. Look at what it goes on to say. Harden not your heart as in the day of provocation. As in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me and saw my work. Now, this is, of course, this is talking about in the Exodus. God brought them out of Egypt with great power. He, he proved He was God. He spoke and told them what they ought to do. He delivered them through signs and wonders from the Egyptians. When they stood, where they had the Red Sea before them and the Egyptians behind them, He parted the Red Sea so they could walk across on dry land. When the Egyptians tried, He closed it in on top of them and destroyed them. And He provided for them manna and water and He led them with a fiery presence at night and a cloudy pillar in the day. And they got right to the edge 
of the promised land. And God said, go and take the promised land. Do what I've said. And they said, no. Now, this is where it's important to understand what it means to hear. Right? Hear doesn't necessarily mean I hear it. They didn't hear it. They heard. They all knew what God had said to do. They all knew God was saying, cross the Jordan and take the land. I will fight for you. And what they said was, no. No. We can't. There's giants in the land. We can't. And so they hardened their hearts and did not heed. And what was the result of their hardening and not heeding? Forty years long was I grieved with this generation. Can you just, let's just think about that. Can you imagine God being grieved at our life, at our choices? And yet when we hear and we don't heed, we choose to harden our hearts. That's what we do. We grieve our God. But not only that, he was grieved with them. It's a people that do err in their heart and have not known my ways unto whom I swear in my wrath. They should not enter into my rest. They missed out on all God had promised to give them, all God wanted to give them, all God could give them. Again, think of the significance of this. Of course, if you're familiar with the story, you know those who were 20 years and older had to wander in the wilderness until they all died. So God brought them out of Egypt to take them to the land that He promised Moses or promised Abraham He would give to the people. They could have had it. They could have walked across it. They could have conquered it. They could have lived in the land of milk and honey. They could have had the houses and the homes and all of that. But instead, what they did was they walked. Another psalm says that they basically wasted their lives in futility. A life that could have been spent glorifying God, doing His will, enjoying God's blessings, was wasted in futility as they walked in circles until they all died. They missed everything God had for them. Everything God wanted to give them. And they missed it because they hardened their hearts rather than heed God's word. They heard. They didn't heed. They hardened their hearts and they missed everything. Everything God wanted to give them. Now this section of the psalm is repeated in the New Testament. So turn to Hebrews chapter 3. And we're actually going to start in verse 12. Hebrews 3 and 12. It says, but exhort... Oh, I'm sorry, that's 13. But take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So this is a this passage has given us a warning about departing from God, about people who are with God and then something happens and they depart from God. In order to to fight against this, we're to exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of us be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin For we are made partakers of Christ if 
We hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast until the end. Now, so there's all of this stuff God has promised to give us in Christ. And we only have that if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast until the end. That's conditional, right? If I said, I will give you a hundred dollars if you mow my lawn. Do you get the hundred dollars if you don't mow my lawn? No, nobody would expect that. Well, some people might, but they're not normal. Most people would understand the conditional if. I didn't meet the if, so I don't get the reward. So what happens if someone doesn't hold fast the faith until the end? Then they miss all God wants to give them in Christ Jesus. But look at verse 15. How do we prevent this? Today... If you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation. And and look again at verse 7 now. Wherefore the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart in the day of provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness. And your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said that who always err in their hearts and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. So take heed, brethren. The author of Hebrews is, is making a point. And it's the same point the psalmist made in Psalm 95. God is speaking today. And if we will hear and not harden our hearts, we will experience all God has planned to give us. But if we harden our hearts and we don't hear and we don't heed, then we will miss everything God has for us. Just as the Israelites missed out on all God had for them, By hardening their hearts instead of hearing and heeding, so too will we miss out on all God has for us if we harden our hearts rather than choosing to hear and heed God's voice. So when we hear God, and we hear God through His Word, we hear God, He speaks today. How should we respond to God's Word? How do we respond When God's word challenges us, how do we respond when God's word says, do this, but we don't want to do that? How do we respond if God's word says, don't do that, but we really want to? How do we respond if God's word says, this is truth, and we say, I don't want to believe that? How do we respond if what we believe and what we say and how we live and how we act and how we react is out of sync with God's word. How should we respond? Since hearing and heeding can make an eternal difference in our lives, how do we respond? For all those things hath mine hand made and all those things have been made, saith the Lord, but to this man I will look and to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. So, poor, contrite spirit, 
poor in this context would be the opposite of proud. It's not necessarily financially poor. It's the opposite of proud. The proud person hears what God has said and says, but I believe this. Or I'm going to do that. The poor person says, oh, God is, is right. That's why they're contrite. God is right and I'm, I'm sorry, God, I'm wrong. And then when they realize they're wrong, they, they tremble at God's Word. Do we tremble when we hear God, when God speaks through His Word and our lives are out of sync with what it says? Do we tremble at that? When we read God's Word and what we believe is out of sync with what the Bible says is right and true, do we tremble because we're wrong? If we react in one way, and the Bible says we ought to react in another, do we tremble because we're wrong? Or do we rationalize? It's just the way I am. Do we minimize? Well, I mean, it's not... Right, but I mean, other people do a lot of worse things and this isn't that big of a thing considering. Do we justify? Well, I mean, they really deserve me to act in that way. Or do we tremble because we're wrong and God's right? So what I want to do is spend the rest of our time just looking at some passages and ask, one, are we in sync with what the Bible says, with what God says and if we're not, how are we going to respond to that? Uh, James 3 says, Therefore, bless we God, even the Father, and therefore curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Now, curse there doesn't mean like profanity necessarily. It means to speak ill of. Right. When we bless God, we speak well of God. God is great. God is awesome. God is wonderful. Like what we do when we sing songs. We, we bless the Lord through the song. We say, God is our Savior. God is our rock. God is our fortress. That is blessing God. The opposite of that is to say negatively. Right. So this isn't saying I use profanity towards a person, although it would, that would include it, but it's not limited to that. So... James imagines a scenario where maybe we come to church and we bless our God and we sing His praises and we talk about how wonderful and great He is and then we leave. And once we leave, we begin to, to run down people who are made in the image of God. Perhaps people in our church body, but perhaps not. Perhaps it's the waitress at the restaurant. Or perhaps it's the cashier at the grocery store. Or perhaps it's someone on social media who's the biggest idiot we've ever seen in our lives. Or perhaps it's any number of other people. But James says we go one minute from blessing God to the next minute cursing those who are made in His image. Surely, he says, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Surely, that's not right. The next verse goes on to say, you don't get from the same spring bitter water and sweet water. It's from the same heart shouldn't come blessing and cursing. Now, clearly, running down people has always been a problem, as James wrote this several thousand years ago. But in our day, in, in our time right now, we are living in a very divided culture. 
And right now, social media especially gives us an outlet to in one social media post say, come join us at Northridge Free Will Baptist Church. And in the next one to say, libtards are morons, I hope they all die. Social media gives us this outlet to bless God one minute and curse people made in His image in the next. Surely, James would say, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Surely, those who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ do not run other humans down who are made in His image. And yet, many do. And so the question is, how do we respond to a verse like this? Do we rein it in in our minds and our hearts and we hold it in? I mean, my pastor Tim Landers used to say, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from making a nest in your hair. I mean, if you see somebody and you think what they've done is the, the biggest idiot you've ever seen, you can't maybe stop that thought from running through. But you can stop it from flowing out your fingers. You can stop it from running out your mouth. You can stop from saying that to others. And, and the reality is this. We often think if we don't say it, our heads will explode, right? I mean, if I don't say it, you can't just hold stuff like that. And if you don't say it, you'll have a stroke or you'll die or your head will explode. It won't. I mean, I, can, I can't quite promise you because I'm not completely omniscient. But I can almost promise you, you won't die. I won't die if I don't speak those words. And, and if I'm wrong, and you do, I'll promise I will admit it at your funeral. I was wrong. This is all my fault. They were a very good person. They listened to me and it was bad. But I don't expect to have to do that. We don't have to give out to those things. So the question is, what do we do? If this is common for us to bless God one minute, curse people the next, how are we going to respond to this? Are we going to minimize it? It's not that big of a deal. We're going to justify it. They, they really kind of deserved it. We're going to rationalize it. Or are we going to tremble that we are doing something God has said not to do? Friends, we ought to be bothered. Anytime our life is out of sync with God's word, even if it is in blessing and cursing. These are not minor things. Anytime we know what the Bible has said. And we choose not to hear and heed. Guess what we have to do in order to act out on that? We harden our hearts. That's what we're doing. When I know James has said, God has said through James, I'm not supposed to bless God and curse men. And I choose to go ahead and curse men. I'm not hearing and heeding what God has said. I'm choosing to harden my heart and do whatever I want to do instead. And that is going to cause me to miss out on everything God has for me. How do we respond when we are out of sync with God? Another passage. Revelation. I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were open. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. The death 
And hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. There is a, a day of judgment coming. And, and what it says there is, everybody will stand before the great white throne there. Right? So the dead, small and great. Small and great doesn't refer to physical size as much as it does like importance. Right? So small would be ordinary people like us. Great would be presidents and kings and tycoons and the rich and the famous. They're going to stand before the Lord. And the books are opened. And the books, from what we understand, what I understand anyway, is there will be two, at least two books. One book would be like the book of our life. Stuff we've done. And our actions will be judged, read out, because they'll be judged by our actions. So they'll be read out. Took the Lord's name in vain. Lusted. Coveted. Fornicated. Blessed God one minute. Cursed God. Cursed somebody else the next. And then the other book will be opened, which I believe will be the Bible. And it'll be like, you did this and here's what the standard was. And you knew it. And you chose... Instead of hearing and heeding, you chose to harden your heart and do otherwise. And then at last, there will be a final book, the book of life. And the book of life contains the names of all those who have repented of their sins and believed in Jesus Christ. Someone repents of their sins, believes in Jesus Christ, their name is written on a book of life. So there will be, here's what you did, here's what the Bible said, proving that you have the wages of sin is death and you are guilty for you have violated God's law. Is your name here? And if it's not, you'll be cast in the lake of fire where the smoke of your torments will rise forever and ever for all of eternity. Now that's, that's what the Bible says. That's what God has said is coming at some point in the future. So the question, have you repented of your sins? Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because if you haven't, This is your future. This is your eventual fate. For the Bible says it is appointed once unto man to die and then the judgment. We are all going to die. We are all going to stand there. So is your name going to be found? Is your name written in the book of life? And if you know you haven't, you know you've never repented of your sins and believed in Jesus Christ, how do you respond to a passage like this? How do you you respond to what it says? Do you tremble at God's Word knowing what awaits you? Or do you minimize it? Well, I'm not as bad as other people. Do you justify it? Well, I had some people in my life that were professing Christians and man, they were, they were terrible human beings and they were such hypocrites. They put such a big stumbling block. God was going to understand. Do we try to rationalize? Well, I'm a pretty good person overall. I mean... I'm a basically a moral person. I, I think God's going to be okay with my life. Or do we tremble at what the Word has said? We're going to do one or the other. We're going to tremble and flee to Jesus for salvation. Or we're going to harden our hearts and live out our lives missing out on all God has for us and eventually facing this horrible judgment from God. 
Another passage. Ezekiel. So thou son of man, I have set thee as a watchman to the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked man, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. Thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I require at thine hand. So, a message from God, a warning about judgment. Something like this, perhaps. So here we are as disciples of Jesus. And we know this message. We know this is what's coming. We know everyone who has not repented of their sins and believed in Jesus Christ will be cast in the lake of fire where the smoke of their torments will rise from eternity for all of eternity. And now God has given us this message and the message of reconciliation according to the Bible to go make disciples of all nations, to preach the gospel to every creature. To be His witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. So what do we do with it? What do we do when we have a lost loved one, a family member, a friend, a co-worker, someone that's in our sphere of influence? I don't think this would necessarily refer to like every person we ever encounter. I don't think this means I'm walking down the street and somebody walks by me and if I don't stop them and tell them they're going to go to hell unless they repent and believe in Jesus, that I'm going to be held accountable. I don't think it means that. I think if God says, stop them and speak to them, then it would mean that. I think by and large what this is going to mean is people within our sphere of influence, people we have a relationship with, people we can sit down and say, I love you and I care for you and you know I love you. But here's what the Bible says and here's what Jesus has done and you have to make a choice. But what if we don't want to do that because it's going to make them mad? And what if we don't want to do that because it might hurt their feelings? Or it might make things uncomfortable? Or what if we don't want to do that because we're afraid we don't have all the answers? We can't say what needs to be said. Well, if we don't give them the message, they're going to die. And they're still going to go to hell. This is still going to be their future, even though we didn't tell them, but... God is going to require their blood at our hands. And, and I don't even know what that means. I'll be honest with you. I have no idea what that phrase means. All I know is it doesn't sound good. So how do I respond to that when I know there's people I'm supposed to tell? How do you respond when there's people you know you're supposed to tell? Do we tremble at God's word that we're not sharing the gospel like we're supposed to? Do we tremble that we're not warning people about the judgment to come and they will die because of our lack of courage, our unwillingness to speak, our fear of it causing trouble in our families or something? Do we minimize and justify and make excuses for why we can't be the ones to do it? Or do we go and tell them? Do we hear and heed? Or do we harden our hearts? Because the reality is we're going to do one or the other. And every one of us, every one of us, we have people in our sphere of influence that are lost, they're separated from God. This is their future. And similar to Queen Esther, God has put us in their life for such a time as this. For us to tell them the good news of great joy, to warn them about the judgment to come. Every one of us are meant to tell others this message. Are we 
going to tremble at God's word, hear and heed and warn them? Or are we going to harden our hearts for the sake of a little bit of peace, for the sake of our comfort? Are we going to justify and say things like, well, they they seem to be good moral people, so I'm sure they love the Lord. Are we going to soothe our consciences while they go to hell? Meanwhile, we harden our hearts against God because we're not hearing and heeding His Word. Last one. Well, one of the last ones. Romans 12, 2 is familiar. Be not conformed to this world. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove us that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. There's a lot there. We're just going to focus on be not conformed to this world. The message paraphrase renders that phrase, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Now, when I was a kid, of course, I was raised in a free will Baptist youth group. And if you were raised in a free will Baptist youth group, but not this one, but another free will Baptist youth group, in the time frame that I did, you were taught be conformed meant don't wear shorts and women ought to wear long dresses and you ought to have short hair and you can't listen to anything but Christian music and you know, you, you got to go to church and they've got all of these outward standards. And if you didn't meet these outward standards, you were conforming to the world. But here was the problem with that. Many of the people who taught me those things they wore the long pants and, and they wore the suit and the tie and they did all of that kind of thing. But, but their values, they valued the exact same things the world valued. Their priorities were the exact same priorities the world had. Their attitudes, they had the exact same attitude as any lost person in our community. They reacted to stressors in exactly the same way as every lost person I knew reacted. They, they outwardly were not like the world, apparently. But inwardly, they were just like the world. I don't think be not conformed has as much to do with women wearing pants or not wearing shorts or a tie or not a tie or what Bible translation you use or the kind of music you sing as it does with what's going on inside of us. I mean, a believer, a disciple of Jesus ought not have the same attitude As an unbeliever, a disciple of Jesus ought not have the same values as an unbeliever. A disciple of Jesus ought not have the same priorities as an unbeliever. A disciple of Jesus ought not react to stressors in the same way an unbeliever does. Because the Bible has spoken to all of these things. Jesus has said how we're to live and act in those ways. That is what is meant to distinguish us. And so if I wear all of this outward stuff, but I have the same values as the world, I'm not living in consistency with that book, with that translate that verse. I am conformed. I have been fit into the world's mold. And what is the danger, though? So what's the danger of being put into the world's mold? Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, has departed to Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. When 
When we are conformed to this world, we will eventually forsake Jesus because we love this world. That's the danger. That verse always astounds me. Can you imagine being with the Apostle Paul, seeing the miracles Paul did, the churches he planted? I mean, the miracles Paul did, healing the sick, raising the dead. What great miracles God wrought through Paul. And Demas was there for much of it. And he saw what Paul did or what God did through Paul. And he said, I love this world. I I would rather be like the world. I would rather take part in what the world offers than what Jesus offers. So we come to this verse and we say, what are my attitudes? Do I have the same attitude as an unbelieving world? I mean, social media kind of reveals to us the attitude of the unbelieving world. Is our attitude different than theirs? Do I react to stressors differently than the unbelieving world? Are my values different than someone who doesn't know Jesus? Are my priorities different than someone that's not been redeemed? And if they're not... What do I do? Do I tremble at the fact I am so fit into the world's mold? Do I tremble at the fact I have fit in with my culture and I don't even think about it? Or do I justify? Do I minimize? Do I make excuses for why it's okay in this particular case? I would never do What Demas did. We are going to hear and heed. Tremble. Or we are going to harden our heart. And depart. And miss. All God has. For us. So what do we do? We do what Jesus said. We take the more earnest heed. Or we take therefore. Take heed. How you hear. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and whoever hath not from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. What Jesus says is be very careful how you hear. When we hear and when we heed, more is given. Whether it's more grace, more mercy, more closeness with Christ, more of the Spirit, more understanding of the Word, more is given. But if we're not careful and we harden our hearts, we begin to lose. The Christian life is not like walking down a sidewalk. The Christian life is going against the current. It's like walking up a down escalator. And when we cease to hear and we cease to heed and we harden our hearts, we don't just stop and stay in the same place. We start going back. Rapidly. And in the end, we miss out on all God has for us. The great Baptist pastor Charles Spurgeon illustrated this point this way. The same sun which melts wax hardens clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sin. What makes the difference in whether it hardens us 
or softens us. How we hear and how we heed. Those who hear and reject harden their hearts and go further away from God. Those who hear and heed are softened and drawn closer to God. What scripture does in us and through us and for us largely depends on how we respond to it. How we hear and whether we heed. It will make the difference between life and death. It will determine whether or not we experience the fullness of all God has for us. The moment we harden our heart and cease to hear and heed. We immediately start missing out on what God has for us. Take heed how you hear. Take heed how you listen. Give the more earnest heed to what God has said to us in Scripture. It is not just another book. These are the very words of God for us. And they bring us to a point of a decision every single time. Will I hear and heed? Or will I reject and harden? choice is mine and the choice is yours let's stand